Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Ladies and gentlemen, today I have a very special guest. Her name is Kelly Nelson, and she's a grief coach. Now, Kelly uh, had some amazing uh, aspects of her own life where she had to deal with grief. And then she went on a path of discovery, which resulted in a book that she wrote that helps others deal with grief. And we'll go through that in all the few minutes. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here. Well, thank you for being here. It really is my pleasure. It really is wonderful to see that you're here and, and so on. Kelly, may, can you go back in a few years and share that pathway with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. For me, uh, grief showed up in my life a little over five years ago when my mom committed suicide. And as you can imagine, it was horrific. It was a nightmare. Our family shattered and we've honestly haven't fully recovered from that. And personally, I just had a very hard time dealing with grief. I had all, I couldn't sleep at night. I couldn't eat. I couldn't focus all the things that go along with grief. In fact, I was so debilitated that I had to actually step down from my position in leadership at an organization and find a different job because I just couldn't concentrate on work. Um, and I went about in that condition for several months seeking help. You know, I looked for help. I asked for help and I just couldn't find the right kind of help to help me recover. I went to a suicide support group, but everyone in that group was miserable. Everyone in that group was just barely surviving. A lot of them were unable to work. And so while I was comforted by the fact that everyone in the room shared the same experience as me, I was horrified at their condition of living. I just began to believe that this is, you know, my fate. I'm just going to be surviving the rest of my life. I'm never really going to get over this. And I lived like that for several months until thankfully I had a, an encounter with a speaker, an amazing woman who survived the Rwandan genocide. And I heard her speak and share her story of being hit away in a bathroom for 90 days with eight other women and sharing with us not only how she survived that, but more importantly to me, how she recovered, how she healed from the trauma and the loss. And I saw a woman who was completely full of joy, full of life, you know, excited about her future and a light bulb went off. And I said, if she can do it, I can do it. And if God will do it for her, he'll do it for me. So I decided right then and there that I would recover. I didn't know where to start or how long it would take, but I had decided that it was possible. So I began to study and research uh, how our minds and bodies work with loss and trauma. And I started to pay really close attention in my own life, the things that were helping me and the things that were hurting me. And I kept notes and made adjustments and refined and refined until I started to feel better. I started to get back to myself. Um, and I'm thankful that I did when I did, uh, because just several months after that, I lost my 20 year old son to a drug overdose. And for any parent that's lost a child, you know, again, this sudden traumatic, overwhelming grief uh, was at my door, but I applied all the lessons that I had learned when I lost my mom 
And I was able to move through grief and mourning so much more efficiently and so much more effectively. And that's when I really decided I need to share this with other people, you know, grief and mourning, there are skills that you can learn. There are things that can help and things that can hurt your grieving process. There are things that you can do to keep you stuck. And there are also things you can do to help accelerate moving through it. So that is really the birthplace for this work and what I've been doing for the last three and a half years. Well, and that, that's truly an amazing story. Uh, you know, uh, I went through a phase in my life where I, even during COVID here, where I lost my father-in-law to COVID and my mother didn't die from COVID, but she died from all the other things they did to protect her from COVID. Oh, wow. She was 95. And what happened is they took away the things that kept her sane. Mm. I mean, they put her in like almost uh, solitary confinement. You know, you can't hear at that age. You can't see at that age. And so they took away things like newspapers. They took away things like mm. all the things that kept her in her regular world. Mm. And so she went to severe dementia and ended up dying from it. Wow. And, and you know, I, I think some of the things we did with COVID were so wrong. Right. It really was not the right way to let people live. No, I agree. Really hastened her demise quickly because of the things that they did to protect her from the virus. That's such a good point. I mean, overdoses are up tremendously. Suicides are up tremendously because of all the measures we did to to protect us from COVID put a whole bunch of other populations at risk. Overdoses have almost doubled over the time frame of COVID. It's just astounding. Yes, and I think that's really important that uh, people realize that now many of these overdoses are really suicides in which people are trying to get out of their grief. I have uh, some knowledge of some people in my, uh, my um, neighborhood that have died that way. And, and it's sad because really that this shouldn't be happening. In fact, in some locales, the number of people dying from overdoses now outweigh those that are dying from COVID. Yeah. Overdoses, whether it's intentional or accidental, you know, and I, I lost a family member to both, you know, my mom died by overdose. She committed suicide with pills, you know, and then my son died of an accidental overdose. And for me, it all comes back to grief and trauma because unresolved grief and trauma leads to so many of, of these other things. It leads to addiction. It leads to depression. It leads to isolation. It just is this perpetuating thing. And especially suicide. Once you have a suicide happen in your family, the chances for another suicide goes up exponentially. And so really meeting families at the moment of crisis and making sure that they get help and they find healing and support is just paramount. If we don't reach all these families that are grieving because of COVID in a couple of years, we're just going to have even more addiction and even more suicide if people don't get the help that they need right now. Yeah. And I I think that's true. You know, I went through a phase in my life when I was diagnosed as having ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And I was told I had six months to live. I better get my affairs in order. Fortunately, that, that was not the proper diagnosis. But that was such a sustained trauma 
that I went through the phases of grieving. I went through anger. I went through denial. I went through bargaining. I went through depression. Mm-hmm. All those phases that were not very nice. And mm-hmm. I, I think of all those phases, the worst phase, I think, was the depression phase where everything was black and you had no meaning to go on living. I, I think that depression phase is what drives people over the deep end into that that phase where suicide or uglier, ugly things happen, such as a drug overdose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that dark, heavy sorrow and just staying stuck in that place of trauma is the thing that we help people to do. You know, we help them to wrap their minds and hearts around what they've lost, but also what they've gained and what they still have. And we help people find meaning and connection in their life going forward Uh, that honors the person that they lost so that they don't have to, it doesn't have to be past tense. They can carry their person with them in their actions and in their day-to-day life. And it's when we help people do that to shift their focus from what was to what could be that healing really takes place. When people start to discover that there are ways that their loved ones are still with them, there are ways that they can still honor them, acknowledge them, remember them, Um, And we help them connect to that. That's when they can really put their focus forward and begin to enjoy their life again, not just endure it, not just survive it, but actually look forward to it and enjoy it. And it's, it's powerful. And, and it's, it's an honor to be able to be a part of that transformation for people. Yes. And and this is what people tend to realize, Uh, you know, these experiences are, are always nasty when they first occur but they can be always growth experiences. They can always be uh, turning points in our life where we actually grow through them and come out on the other side as better people as a result of it. We can learn and once we deal with that grief, we can actually be better people in our lives and, and, and do better things and, and, and resolve that that trauma that went on. Absolutely. And the trick is that it's a choice. It's a choice and responsibility. And that can feel almost hurtful for somebody who's just really in the throes of grief and feeling really sad to say, Oh, you can be better. They, you know, it can be almost offensive, but to really understand that it is a choice and it is our responsibility. I often say, you know, trauma is not your fault, but healing is your responsibility. And there is an opportunity in every trauma or heartache or loss for that growth. You know, there's an opportunity for you to change and grow and develop and become a better version of yourself and live a richer, more rewarding lives. You know, I always say like a symphony has high notes and low notes. That's what gives it the texture. It's the lows that make the highs sound that much higher. And our lives need to have a good balance of both in order to fully experience it. So instead of trying to run from the lows or despise the lows or stay stuck in the lows, just acknowledging and accepting that that's part of our life experience experience, and then incorporating it into the next season, you know, that has highs and lows. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, the, the thing about highs is you never will really experience the great highs and the wonderful things that go on in your life and really understand how good they are, unless you know the bad. 
So Absolutely. It truly is, it's the depths of despair that really helps to, for us to understand the mountains of ecstasy that we go through. So it really is good to have those things to, to allow us to understand the wonderful things that go on in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Even in your relationships. I mean, as soon as you lose a family member, man, all of your relationships become that much more meaningful and that much more precious. And I know for a lot of people, for myself included, my priorities in life change, the way I spend my time change, the way a parent change for the better, you know, so I, I'm a much better version of myself and I'm living a much more intentional life because having gone through these losses and it is, it's a wake up call for a lot of people and it's an opportunity to redesign your life in a way that honors you and honors the person you lost. And, and that can be a really beautiful thing, you know? Yes, it can be. And, you know, you lost your son, but you had 20 good years with your son in which you had amazing experiences. You lost your mother, but your mother had many, many good years with you that mm -hmm. you had many, many good things as well. So, you know, it's very sad when somebody decides to end it for themselves. Uh, my wife's sister did that. And I don't, mm. her family's, uh, their family really has ever dealt with it properly and still go through those negative emotions. Uh, it's not very nice when something like that happens. But again, if you work through it, if you use it as a chance to grow, if you use it as an opportunity to, to let things go, I think it's very important that that grieving can become um, something that, that helps you, not harms you. Yeah, absolutely. And especially, I think, I mean, all grief hurts. But when we have unnatural traumatic grief, you know, everybody expects at some point to lose their grandparents and their parents, right? That's sort of the natural order of things. But to lose a child and to lose some someone, you know, suddenly and traumatically and, and by their own choice just adds layers of complexity that tend to keep people stuck in the grieving process longer. They're more prone to stay stuck in the, you know, why did this happen phase looking for answers or blaming themselves or, you know, rehearsing or rehashing if they could have or should have done something differently, if they could have prevented it. Those are kind of all the landmines where people, people can stay stuck in that for years and years and years. And it's really, really takes some intentionality and some help to learn how to disrupt those thought loops and replace them with positive, you know, truthful uh, thought patterns that are going to help promote you forward into healing. But um, yeah, those, those loops can be really strong, especially when it's suicide or something traumatic like that. Okay. Now we will not have the time to go through everything you do. To <laughs> those loops. I mean, that, that takes years and months and everything else but maybe you can give us an overview of what you do to help people with those, with breaking the cycle of grief. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a five-step process we use called our grief relief process. So I'll just give you a very quick overview of our five steps. So the first step is what we call our map maker. That's where we help people determine what they believe and what they want. 
to take some inventory, deciding what this loss means for them and what they want going forward. And that honestly is the biggest part. When we work with folks for 10 weeks, that first step takes five weeks. (laughs) So really taking time to do that. Our second step is what we call path protector. So we help people create boundaries that are going to help to facilitate healing. Everything from the people you're around to the TV you're watching, we take a look at everything and make sure you have an environment conducive for healing. Then the third step is what we call our mindful makeover. That's where we teach folks about this mindful patterns and how to disrupt patterns and replace it with positive patterns. Our fourth step is called community collaborator. We understand that we are intended to do life together. No one's an island. And so we help people identify healthy communities that they can plug into in the midst of their recovery. And then step five is my favorite step. It's what we've been talking about. It's taking, uh, finding a purpose in your pain. So identifying for yourself how you as an individual have actually become a better, stronger person because of this. And then lastly, how you can use the way that you've become better to help be a blessing to others. So that could be as small as planting a tree once a year in honor of your loved one or as big as starting a nonprofit or writing a book. But everybody has an opportunity to do something to make the world a better place in honor of the person that they lost. And it's then when they start daydreaming about what those things might be that they just get really excited for living. And so that that's our five-step framework and how we help people get back to living their lives. That's important. And I, I think, you know, yeah, we were talking earlier about retreats and so on. I think those would be wonderful phases for a retreat in some location that would help people work through some of those things in a five to seven day process that would help people to really transcend the barriers uh, of their of their existence and really get to a whole new norm. I think that would be a wonderful thing that you could do. So I'd encourage you to think of those things as well, because I think you could really do amazing, not that you're not doing amazing things already, but you could also do it in another level of things that would help people. Yeah. Yeah. We're busy planning a lot of retreats. We plan to do retreats and retreats for specific types of loss, right? So if you lost your loved one to suicide to have a retreat with other folks who've lost loved ones to suicide, uh, you know, if you're a mom who lost a child, getting together with other moms who've lost a child, or if you lost someone to overdose, because there's such power in healing and connecting and bonding with people who have your shared experience. And then that coupled with educational tools to help you move through and get back, um, get back to loving your life. So yeah, we're, we're busy planning about a handful of retreats right now for folks to be able to do that. I'm really looking forward to it. Cool. And I, I'm really glad to hear that. And I'm really glad that that we were just at a seminar together. And I think that seminar will help you immensely with that. I'll tell you, I, I signed up for the blueprint with it and there's so much material there. It really helps to just synchronize it and even make it to another level. Yeah. Uh, little, little things that make all the difference. And to my listeners out there, uh, you, you know that I wrote the best-selling book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life. I will be running retreats in the near future on that topic for you. So if you're interested in that, check out my website and drop a line to me. I, I think it's important that people get through these experiences and transcend them. And this is where you and I share something, Kelly, that we think that we're put on this planet for a reason. And we really try to help people, even though we've had some some nasty things in our past and we've had some things that didn't 
that were not right and we had to grieve through them. And yes, you felt like you were crazy through it. And I felt like I was crazy through it. <laughs> the answer is that's all part of the process. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. This is what I will be doing until the day I leave this earth. And there's tremendous uh, power in knowing that your purpose for being here. And there's also tremendous responsibility, you know, <laughs> I, I feel. Uh, I so, was, yeah, I think it was spider Man that said with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to turn that into a t-shirt or something. That'll be great. I think so. One of the first Spider-Man movies said that. With great power comes great response. Oh, okay, okay. (laughs) Okay, you've got to have a laugh every now and then. Yeah. We'd all be crying sometimes. So tell me more about your grief process, and and maybe you can give me an example of of one or two people that you've worked with and, and help them along that pathway. Yeah. I mean, we work with all types of people. We work with um, just really anyone that has experienced loss. Most recently, I worked really closely with a mother who had lost her daughter to complications of alcoholism and just really struggling with that. Her daughter was 30 years old and you don't expect to lose a child at that age. I think the biggest thing that we do for people is help them to move from a reactive posture to a proactive posture. A lot of people, for whatever reason, when it comes to grief, they just sort of sit there and wait for it to get better or they wait for it to hit them. You know, they'll have this overwhelming feeling of grief or they'll get triggered and then it goes away and then they don't do anything about it. And then it happens again a couple of days later. So we just really work with people to be mindful and learn to process their grief a little bit every day to take intentional steps and actions to be in control of their thoughts and emotions so that when the grief does show up, they have tools to handle it. And they have actually been neurologically conditioning themselves to have the answer even before it happens. So we help clients come up with a personalized framework on truths and statements that they're meditating on every day. So it becomes automatic in their mind. So when those thoughts of loss or sorrow or remembering the day it happened wants to come into their mind, their mind already has the answer in store. And that has been one of the most powerful things that our clients say. I mean, we take people from, you know, crying every day and being triggered quite often to not being triggered at all because they are telling their minds every morning what they are choosing to focus on, what they're choosing to think about. So when the thing that would in the past trigger them, their mind already has it solved for them. And that, that makes the biggest initial difference from people being upset and crying and not having energy to getting back in control of their thoughts in their life and having more emotional energy. And then from that place, they can actually process the loss and they can make some informed decisions about how to move forward in a healthy way. But if you don't ever get out of that constantly being triggered, constantly crying and rehashing, if you don't get out of that loop, it's really hard to make progress moving forward. And so that's one example, one of the things that we do for the folks that we work with. Yeah, You know, that neural rewiring is so important for people. If they're stuck in a blind loop, I call it, there's no they can get out of that loop. It just keeps on spiraling and keeps getting worse. So there has to be a way out of it. It's sort of like Groundhog's Day with the with with that. You know, if you keep doing the same things over and over, you're not going to get a different result. It's impossible. So you have to literally uh, break those patterns and allow those re- those patterns to come about. 
Absolutely. And that's actually one of my issues with traditional support groups is that a lot of grief support groups, you just show up each week and tell your story and new people show up each week and tell their story. And what, what a lot of times is happening is that you're reprogramming trauma every week. You're re-traumatizing yourself. And every week you're, you're not only rehashing your own story, but you're hearing other people's stories. And it just keeps you in this place of trauma if there isn't, if there ever isn't a break in that and some instruction on how to move forward, it can keep people stuck in a trauma loop for a long time. And it breaks my heart because I know that support groups are wanting to help. But a lot of times I've had a lot of clients that come to me after support groups and saying that it actually, you know, it, it didn't help and it made them worse. And so again, getting the, not all support is created equal, getting the right kind of help and making sure that you're learning from someone who has something to offer. You need to be learning from someone who's farther down the road from you. (laughs) If you're, if you're learning from someone who's behind you or at the same level as you, you know, you're going to, you're going to go around in circles for quite a while. Yeah. And I understand that, you know, in my former life, I was a cosmetic dermatologist and uh, at towards the end of my career, there were lasers that were invented that could really correct bad burn scars So we could literally take scars that made people really have problems and really make them vanish. And Hmm. I was surprised how many people would not want that. They Hmm. literally wanted to keep their scars because they wanted to keep in that part of their life where they wanted to keep reliving that trauma and let people have pity on them and the whole scenario with it. They literally did not want to because... They didn't, they didn't want to go to that other side. Uh, it, it was scary. I, I remember going to a, a burn survivors meeting once and was literally thrown out because they, when I told them there's this technology and we can do it, they, they said, well, that's not our job. Our job is to counsel them so that they can get over what they look like and, and so on. And, and, you know, it was very sad. <laughs> It's so sad. And unfortunately, our culture today really embodies a victim mentality. And it really does everything it can to affirm brokenness and woundedness. And so when someone's grieving, there's there's a ton of people that will say, oh, yeah, you're never going to recover from this. You, you know, people used to come up to me all the time and say, I don't know how you get out of bed in the morning. And I know they thought they were paying me a compliment, but it's far too easy. If I wanted to make my losses, my identity and be this victim and never get out of bed in the morning, there would be a whole bunch of people that would agree with me and say, oh, yeah, you shouldn't do anything more than that. You know, but we're doing a disservice to people when we don't tell them that healing and health and wholeness is available. I even get I get so much kickback when I say you can recover from grief. People say, what do you mean recover? You know, (laughs) you don't ever recover. The person never comes back. You can't possibly recover from that. And it breaks my heart that people would want to be in agreement with being sick or broken for the rest of your life. I'm not saying the person comes back or you don't ever miss them, but I'm here to say that you absolutely can and should recover from grief. Grief is not meant to be a perpetual state. You're supposed to have a period of mourning and work through the stages of grief And then live your life. And that life includes missing your person from time to time and honoring, celebrating your person, you know, but yeah, it's just crazy to me the way our culture is these days when it comes to those kinds of things. Well, Kelly, we're close to the end here. And I always like to ask one question 
in in this and it's it's a personal question and it's how do you live a fantastic life as a result the show is called how to live a fantastic life show so how do you live it one day at a time <laughs> is the short answer to that but really you know we only we only have the day that's in front of us and so i think the biggest tool that I've, the biggest thing that I do every day that has made the biggest difference is I start my day the same way every day. And that is a two hour, it's a pretty extensive routine of making sure that my mind is right. And I, I read books that I love and I'm in the word of God and I get my morning exercise in and I really take time to center myself and set my intention for the day and do all I can to make the most of the day. And that's all we ever have control of. We actually don't even have control of the whole day. Who knows what would end, you know, what could happen by the end of the day. But um, just keeping my eyes on the day that's in front of me and doing everything I can to be present and intentional with it uh, is the way that I live a fantastic life. Fantastic. Now, two things. One is how can people get a copy of your book and please repeat the name of it because I'm not sure if I did a good enough job with saying what what the name was. Yeah. And so do that first. And secondly, how can they get in touch with you? Perfect. So the book is called You're Not Crazy, You're Grieving, but I actually offer a free audio version of the book. It is me reading the book. So if you want to hear me reading the book, you can go to I'm not crazy, I'm grieving.com and there's a little sign up for you there and you'll receive the audio book free of charge. And if you want to connect with me in any way, our website is thegriefguru.com and I'm on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram, all the social media places as The Grief Guru. So I would love to hear from any or all of you. Kelly, thank you so much for being here today. And yeah. thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. It's been my pleasure and honor. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope to talk to you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Laika's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day. Fantastic.